So we're going to continue in our preaching series through the um, book of Ephesians. I think that's good in many ways. I want us to start maturing and understanding the names of books in the Bible. You know? Remember, this sermon series is on Ephesians. So when you're thinking about what scriptures I can be reading, what text, where can I go? Because sometimes you go to that Bible, right? And it says, where do I start? Where do I open? Where do I read? A good place to start is in the book of Ephesians. Because as you read through this book, you can um, just go along with what we're going to be learning over the next few months as a church. Today we're going to talk about being chosen for prayer. Prayer is a funny thing. For some reason, I don't know if this is the case with everybody, it's hard to pray. I'm not talking about when you're in the worst situation of your life, right? Everyone, and when you're in the worst situation, when you're in a hard time, what do I do? I got to pray. I mean, there are certain circumstances when we even run away from it then, but prayer doesn't always come naturally because for some reason, we, we believe through our actions that trying to make things happen on our own strength is a better strategy than prayer. Through our actions, through our lives, sometimes we show that we believe we're stronger than the God we pray to. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I'm saying this is our fallen condition. This is what we do. We tend to lean on ourselves when we should be leaning on God. I found a new show on Netflix. This is what I do. Everyone has their things they do. Some guys golf, some guys run, some guys fish. I binge watch stuff on Netflix. That is how I, that's my therapy. That's how I lay back. That's how I, I you know, just forget about anything that could be stressful. And I love Marvel. So I, Daredevil came on Netflix. I'm already finished. I'm not going to apologize to you guys because I'm already finished. But it's just a great show. But one of the most captivating characters is Kingpin, William Fisk. And for those of you who don't know, Kingpin is the archenemy of Daredevil and Spider-Man. You guys all know those names. But what happened is Kingpin has this love interest. He has this girlfriend, and she gets poisoned. She's in, a, like, a coma. And so he's at her bedside, and um, he's talking to her, but she can't hear him. And um, he starts to say that, I wanted to be a prayer. I wanted to pray. He said, so I started to mimic other people who were religious, and I started to try to pray like them. But he said it didn't feel genuine. And he said, I tried to do this, but it didn't feel right, and I didn't see the fruit of prayer. Then he starts to go on this sinful rant, but I don't care, no one, not even, I don't even like saying it. I'm very, you know, fear of God. I don't like saying it. He went on this rant where he would make, he would get revenge for his fiance. And no one could stop him. He said, I'll do it in my own strength. I don't need to pray to make it happen. And many of us might feel like that in circumstances, right? Like, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. I'm not going to fall to my knees. Sometimes I pray and my prayers don't get answered. Or they don't get pray, They don't get answered like I want them to get answered. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to make things happen in my own strength. 
And especially when it comes to other people. Sometimes we have other people in our life we're praying for, right? Maybe it's brothers or sisters who have fallen away. Maybe it's mothers or fathers. Maybe it's friends and family. You keep praying for them, and then you don't see things happen for us. So you say, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to try to make it happen on my own strength. Let me get myself involved instead of allowing God to do it for his glory on my part. Some of us go on a kingpin rant, and we forget the most powerful thing there is, and that's the power of intercessory prayer. So today I want you guys, I want us to grow and mature. I feel like we're in a season as a church where it's time to grow and mature in certain spiritual disciplines. So today I want us to learn how to pray with gratitude. I want us to learn how to pray for others. Because sometimes we can get caught in a narcissistic prayer life. Like we only pray for ourselves. Let me wake up and ask for things for myself. And more specifically, I want us to learn what should we pray? What do I pray for? Sometimes we get caught in the head. We don't even know what to say. I'm here praying. What do I ask for people? And I think Paul gives us good direction here in Ephesians. So Ephesians 1, 15 through 18, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So how many people would describe their prayer life as never ceasing? Like if someone said, talk to me about your prayer life, what is it? Never ceasing? Never stopping. They can't stop me, man. I'm a machine. I haven't said machine in a long time. But does anyone describe their prayer life as never ceasing? Maybe a better definition for some of us is really happens. Only when it's a tough time in life. I really pray for you. Or we get caught in those situations. Like as a pastor, what scares me is sometimes I said, I'll be praying for you. But that can become part of a conversation, right? You're in my prayers. But it's just something so people think that I love them deeply, and it sounds like the right thing to say, but then we go home and forget, right? It's important that our words we have meaning, that we follow up on the things we say. Our prayer life needs to be never ceasing, never stopping. Constant communication with God is key. It hit me the reason why some of us don't have healthy prayer lives, because we don't know how to have healthy relationships. So you talk to people, and when I preach, I'm talking to myself. So I want you guys to know I'm in this with you. Sometimes we, like the, the preacher or the pastor might say, have a healthy prayer like, or have a healthy relationship with God. But the problem is we don't know what healthy relationships are. We don't know how to have healthy communications, communication in other relationships. Like there's couples that do not talk. There's friends who do not talk. There's, and sometimes people think that's a normal relationship. Normal, healthy relationships communicate with each other. You talk about your feelings, you ask for things, you give things, you talk back and forth, you let each other know what you're feeling. See, sometimes we think strong and healthy is to not communicate. We idolize these people just walk around like John Wayne, just, what are you doing? Nothing. I don't need anyone. I don't talk to anyone. I'm private. You know how I roll. Just strong. Right? 
There is nothing healthy about those. Those guys die because they're drinking gasoline and they're going home and crying in their room. I'm telling you right now. They do not, are not strong. They put on this mask. That is never healthy. Healthy is communicating with each other and communicating with God. Do you realize that the first communication, other than the communication between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, was communication just between Adam, the first man, and God. It was constant prayer. God would walk with him. God would talk with him. The first communication was prayer. He had not even made woman for Adam yet. So there was this constant relationship between God the Father and his first created being, they were communicating. Do you know that all good dads enjoy communication with their children? I asked my buddy, one of my best friends growing up, he had a daughter about a year before I had Talia. Or we had Talia. Twelve years today, anniversary, getting old. So I said, what's it like being a dad? And what are the good things? What do you really enjoy about being a father? And he said, you know what the best time is? It's when your kids start learning how to communicate and how to talk to you. He said, you start to learn their personality. You start to get to know them. When they come to you and they express themselves and they talk to you and they ask you for things and you give good things, that's the best time because you start to get to communicate with your children. And see, we hyper-spiritualize prayer. You know, we put it in this category where we think we need to light 15 candles be in a room, the moon has to hit just right, that's prayer. But prayer is just communication between you and your heavenly Father. That's all that is. We don't have to hyper-spiritualize that. And when we stop hyper-spiritualizing it, then we can have constant prayer. You can pray in your car, you can pray in your backyard, you can pray in whatever is your prayer closet. You can pray never ceasing. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us. We need to start there because we need to have a constant, never-ceasing prayer life that is stirred and compelled by the gospel and the love of your heavenly Father. Now, Paul's prayer life was never-ceasing and it was filled with gratitude. That's so important about your prayer life, that it is filled with gratitude. In our culture, we are complainers. We are. And what happens is, because we're complainers, we either don't pray or we bring it into our prayers. All of our prayers can become like complaining prayers, like, I want more, I need this, I don't have enough, I need that, I got this. Our prayer life turns into a place of, instead of a place of gratitude, it turns into a place that we need more. This happened to the people of Israel. They were in 400 years of slavery. God miraculously delivers them from slavery after 400 years. Forced labor, not being fed well, all these kind of things. He raises up Moses, right? Supernaturally, mighty signs and wonders the world may never see again. They get freed from bondage. Moses is leading them out. Do you know what the people start saying right away? They get to the Red Sea. I'm talking, they're not even far on the journey. Why'd you bring us out here? Look at this. They start saying things like, "Bring, I should, we should have stayed in Egypt. Imagine that. I was better in bondage. At least I had three square meals a day. Like, 
they adopted the spirit of complaining. Everywhere they went, everywhere they traveled, they said, I don't like this. I need more. What's wrong with this? Bring me back. Moses isn't a good leader. My life, this, I want, I want. They were never happy. So that's how they communicated with God. More like you haven't given me enough instead of my cup is overflowing with gratitude. You have to remember, Paul, once again, is not writing from the Ritz in Boston. He's writing from the jail cell. And this whole book is peppered with thanksgiving and prayers and gratitude. It's funny Kira's here today because I got a little story about her. Maybe it's not about Kara. My daughters have five million dolls. I don't know where they come from. I don't know who's buying these dolls. But when I look in, and I'm going to temper the story because Kara's in here to be a gracious daddy. I look in that room before they go to bed. I, I swear there has to be over 100 dolls. I feel like I failed as a dad. Like, why am I buying this many dolls? Am I buying this many dolls? Who's giving these dolls? Are they in the mail? I don't know where these dolls are coming from. But what happens when you're a, f- a father sometimes of daughters is you can buy them 100 dolls, but they can still want another doll. So we, once again, I'm tempering this because <laughs> Kara's in here today. A daughter's mentality can be, you can buy two dolls for her. I mean, fresh dolls, Monster High dolls. I guess those are the hit now. Monster High dolls, top of the shelf. So you think, man, I'm good for about a month, maybe two. Two Monster High dolls, that's going to buy me some time. The next day, it's like, I want that doll. Give me that doll. You don't love me. I need a doll. Need more, need more, need more. And you're like, you just got this. What are you talking about? You don't need more? Be thankful for the five million dolls you have. We're like that sometime in our prayer life. It's only, I need more, I need this, this wasn't enough. I know you did this for me last week, but I'm still not content. I need more. That's what happened to the people of Israel. They forgot what God had done for them. They forgot what God was going to do for them. They forgot that they had been delivered. That's why God made the Passover. He said, do this Passover regularly to remember that I had delivered you and I passed over your sins and freed you. Why do we take communion every week? Because we forget what Jesus did for us. We need to remember that his body was broken and that he was blood was shed and that that's all that we need do you guys hear me you don't need anything else but jesus and that's how that's what fills your life with gratitude and overwhelming thanksgiving so you come there and you just lift up god instead of saying i need more you say lord help me to appreciate what i have help me to love who you've given me in my life help me to be thankful for that laminate countertop that's falling apart, even though I want it to be granite. Those things you learn to thank God, you have a countertop. So you come to the prayer and it changes your whole prayer life. And it needs to start there. And Paul says, what does he say he's thankful for? He says, I never cease to pray for all of you, the church of Ephesians, the local church there. He says, I never stop praying for you guys and giving thanks for all of you. With joy, he remembered each person. I thought, man, that's awesome. As a pastor, so my sister for my birthday, she bought me this green journal. And if you know me, I love new journals. You know, I have a bunch of journals. 
And uh, I got this green journal. It had a cross on it. It kind of looks Celtic. It's almost, it was so good, I, I felt guilty writing in it. You know what I mean? So what I had the privilege of doing this week was I wrote down each one of your names in this journal. It was the first page, second page, third page, fourth page. And as I wrote each name, I wrote them all down, and I prayed for each one of you. And those who have children, I prayed for your children. And joy began to come to my heart as I said, wow. I get, first of all, I get to be part of all these people's lives. Secondly, I get the privilege of being their pastor. And joy, and I started thinking, a couple times I laughed as I wrote down names and said, wow, God's been good to me that he's put these people in my life. And what Paul is saying, why was he thankful for the church at Ephesus? He was thankful because of the faith they had and the way they, they loved each other. Nothing does a pastor's heart better than when he sees the congregation he leads and shepherds loving each other. See, it must be just like a dad when siblings are loving each other. You know, like, I like, Mike Barris sent me a picture last week, a text, and it was just of everyone, a good amount of people having, from the church having lunch together. And it made me so happy, happy. I almost posted, but I said, that's kind of weird if I post a picture that I got from someone else. <laughs> you know? But I looked at that picture and I saw a bunch of people enjoying each other's company at the border cafe, loving each other. I see it constantly here, people caring and loving each other and praying for one another and showing affection to one another. And my heart is filled with thanksgiving. And I encourage you, and I'm going to give you a little assignment at the end of this message. I'm not going to call it homework because no one will do it. It's a spiritual assignment. Because it's important in our prayer life that we start thanking God for other people in my life and start even listing why we're thankful for them. Because that's an important part of our prayer life because we forget. What we tend to do is focus on the things we don't have and maybe the things aren't going the way we want. And that's what causes complaining and murmuring to fester. But when we focus on what we're thankful for and the people we're thankful for and the God we're thankful for, it changes our, our prayer life. So... What do we pray when we're praying for other people, doing intercessory prayer? The danger is we get caught in the blessed category. Does anyone get caught in this category? I get caught in this sometimes. Oh, Lord, just bless Alex. Oh, Lord, just bless, bless Danny. Like, there's nothing wrong with praying and bless somebody. But when every prayer is bless them, that might be leading us to the fact that we might have to cultivate our prayer language and know what we need to be asking for. Maybe it's just we don't know what to ask for. Maybe it's we're being lazy in our prayer life. Maybe it's we just need to, to grow a little. Once again, I don't want to be legalistic. You can pray for God to bless people. Please do that. But sometimes we can get caught in the blessed category. Like we think, I'm going to pray for you. Alex, bless him. Done. Moving on. Paul gives us some beautiful, specific, strategic stuff that we can be praying. Praying with purpose. This is huge. Once more, I don't want this to be legalistic, but this helps direct what we can be praying for each other. The first thing he says is he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him would be imparted to other believers, to the church of Ephesus. So I know now I can pray. Lord, I pray for Dave, and I'm using names because it makes it personal. Lord, I pray that you, for Dave, that you give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge 
of you. Why is that so important? Because some of us might have the basic understanding of the cross. Jesus died for my sins. That's awesome. That's good. But for throughout all eternity, we're going to be more learning more layers and more facets of how just deep and immeasurable the gospel is. You grow as a person. You grow in joy. You grow in happiness when you start realizing how deep God's love and God's gospel is. So some of us are here, and all of us need to grow in our understanding of just how awesome this gospel is. And this is important. Because a lot of Eastern religious thought has crept into our prayer life and our spiritual life. This is important. Because what a lot of Eastern religion teaches that's infiltrating American culture is people almost, they teach you to pray to yourself almost. Now I'm categorizing this. They say, look inside yourself, the knowledge is within. You're going to be looking for a long time. They say, Look inside yourself. That's where the strength is. Search yourself. That's where the love is. That's Eastern religion. Focus on yourself. Focus on your strength. Focus on your knowledge. Find the way inside of you. That is not biblical teaching. God teaches us, and you see through the scripture, through Paul's prayer, he says, Pray that God the Father will impart this from outside of them and cause the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open and enlighten the eyes of their hearts to the immeasurable goodness of the gospel. It's not something we already possess. Do you guys hear me? It's something that has to be imparted by God the Father through his rich mercy. So we're not praying that this person just needs to look and realize they're a good person inside. We're praying we need God to reveal to them the richness of his great and give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation of Jesus. The worst thing you can do in your spiritual life is start to focus on yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. Like a lot of people say, start with yourself. No, start with God. Start with God. Start with God, because he imparts that love. He imparts that freedom. He imparts that wisdom. He imparts that grace that changes you and brings you true joy. The second thing he says to pray for, pray that people will find hope in their calling in their future inheritance. Do you know that a lot of people want to give up? Do you know that all of us at times want to give up? You know, I was... I was Saw something on social media where it talked about like 10 to 20 celebrities that gave up their faith. The truth is, I don't think they ever really believed in the first place. I think they had a form of godliness, maybe raised in a home where scriptures might have been taught, but it never came alive within them through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, but it had 20 people said they believe, now they don't believe anymore. John, if people struggle with doubt, and many of us might be struggling with doubt, or just like, you know, does God love me, or is this even real, or did Jesus really, was he God, and did he die for our sins? People need prayer that they will endure, and that hope comes through looking at that inheritance and realizing that the gospel is true, because many people want to give up. You need to pray that people don't lose hope. Do you know a lot of pastors out there don't believe? You know, someone 
came up to me three weeks ago and he said, I love your preaching because you actually believe this. I said, that's my greatest gift. I believe what I'm preaching. People don't realize that's the best gift the preacher has. You get up here and just, pe- you know, if you're preaching something you don't believe, you might as well, you know, drive an oil truck. But pray, because a lot of pastors, what they do is they stop believing. But all of a sudden they say, well, I got my MDiv. I'm still in the pulpit. What do I do with my life? Because a lot of people give up their faith. Pray that people will endure. And if you're struggling in here with your faith, I want you to know that I'm praying for you and others are praying for you and God's going to carry you through all your doubts, all your pains, all your letdowns, all your tough seasons. Be encouraged in that, that you have a church and a pastor and pastors that are praying for you if you're struggling. Knowing that the struggle, the struggle is there's nothing wrong with you if you're struggling. That's okay. People struggle with doubt. Don't give up. Don't turn away. God will build your faith. Like Abraham prayed, Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes we need to pray that. Lord, I'm not believing right now. I don't have the faith. Help my unbelief. And pray for each other that he will help our unbelief. So those are two things, right? We can pray for very specifically. And finally, so I feel like Paul, as he's writing this, he's getting more riled up. He gets riled up. So at the very end, he says, pray that people will know the immeasurable power towards us who believe. Do you think of God's love like that? Like it's immeasurable. Like it can't be contained. There's no category. There's no box. It cannot be categorized like that because his love is so overflowing, you cannot even measure it, measure it with human tools. You can't say it's this many feet or this deep or that. It's immeasurable, his love towards all those who believe. We need to pray for each other, that we actually believe that God's love is immeasurable towards one another. Do you guys hear me? Because some of us think God loves us in measure. Some think God loves us a little bit, but he might love him a little more or her a little more because they're a little better. They got favor. They're the good people. God loves us all the same, and it's immeasurable. You can't put it in the category. That's what we need to be praying for one another. Pray that we know the immeasurable power of God towards each one of us. And this is where Paul gets riled up in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. He says, And what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand, in the heavenly places? Far above all authority, and rule, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put things under his feet, all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you see the Apostle Paul getting riled up, and he basically, over everything, everything's under Jesus' feet. He is ruler, he is king, he is authority. This is your king, this is your savior, this is your God. You can't even measure it. That's what we need to pray for one another. Because we get focused on other things. There's other things that take our focus. What I would love for you to be focused on, the riches of God's grace towards you. The riches of God's grace. Focus on that. Now, do you guys know how prayer works? How does prayer work inside the functionality of the triune God? Like we're taught to pray, but how does that function theologically? Who do we pray to? God the Father. 
What did Jesus teach us? Pray to your heavenly Father. Pray to God the Father. Why can we even pray to God the Father? For others, for ourselves, for any situation. Because of God the Son. You would not be... Some people think it is deserved that we should be able to pray to God and that He hears and answers our prayer. The only reason anyone's prayer, you can even approach God and it should be answered and it can be answered is because of the work of God the Son on the cross. Do you guys hear me? There's no other way to healthy prayer communication with God except for through God the Son. This is why the people in the Old Testament, the people of God, they would not approach God unless there was a sacrifice made. Unless there was a sacrifice made for the sins of the people to make them holy and blameless because sin was atoned for, you couldn't even come and approach God. See, some of us, just culture, I'm talking about culture, we think that we're old prayer, that we're old, that God has to give us his ear. He only gives us his ear because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So we pray to the God, God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Why are our affections stirred to pray? Why are we even believing and hoping and know this grace? Because God the Holy Spirit indwells us. So God the Holy Spirit moves our affections through his power. We pray to God the Father through God the Son. That is Trinitarian prayer. little theological 101 for you right there. We need to know why we're doing stuff and what it means and what the definition of it is. And something powerful and dynamic is happening right there. Everything's happening the way God created it to be. Because we created not because God needed creation, but out of an overflow of love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, let's extend our community to create men and women in our image as our children to communicate with us and be in this loving relationship. So when we're praying and communicating to God here on earth, we're functioning the way God has created it. And even more, when we all pray together, we're all communicating the way God created it. It's a powerful and beautiful thing that should never cease. And do you know that Jesus intercedes and prays for every one of us constantly, regularly? This should lift our souls and encourage our souls. In Hebrews 7.25 it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Wow. I'm sure some of the things Jesus is praying for us is that we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's that we have hope in our calling and our inheritance, and that we know the immeasurable power of the gospel. And here comes your spiritual assignment. I'm not checking you and giving out smiley faces. But I really want us to grow. I really feel that this is a season that God is calling us to grow in maturity and holiness. There's different seasons of a church, and sometimes God grows, and you see a wave of growth. But what God does is he prunes, and you see some people fall away. You see some people mature. All those things happen constantly throughout the years in churches. So I think this is a season that we are being called as a church to grow in our sanctification, our maturity, maturity and holiness as a church. You know, we always want to be a church for the unchurched, and that will never stop. Everyone is welcome to walk through those doors, and you want that to happen. That does not mean that we should be living sinfully like the world. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching? 
There's grace upon grace. But we are called to live as lights in this world through the power and the grace of God. So I say that in starting. That's why we're having a little spiritual assignment because I got no other better word for it. That we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying regularly. We need to be repenting regularly. We need to be praying for others that they repent and grow in the sanctification that is only found in God the Holy Spirit. So this is what I want to ask you to do. Would you do this? As a pastor, I can't make you guys do anything. I can ask you to do this because we've got to grow in maturity and holiness and love. I'm asking you to do this. Pick five people from this congregation. Five people. I was going to start off with the whole church, but I said, Joe, you're getting cracked away. Pastor's got to do the whole church. Five people in this congregation that you are thankful for. I want you to write down, or I'm asking you to write down for each person why you're thankful for that person. Then I want you to pray to God and say, God, I thank you for this person. This is why I thank you for that person. I also want for those five people that you pray those three things, that they know the immeasurable power of the gospel, that they'd be imparted the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that they have hope in their calling. Can we do that as a church? It's very important because we need to be praying for each other. We need each other. And um, it's powerful. It's very powerful. And a couple of you throw me on your list, please. Pastor needs prayer too. Let's pray.